Welcome to America's Top Rebbitzins. This podcast is in honor of my father's birthday. I wish him a very happy birthday and many more years of happiness. I am so excited to have on today's show, Rebbitzin Rohi Koval. Rebbitzin Rohi is a co-founder and associate director of the Jewish Family Experience, an independent Sunday school and Jewish congregation near Cleveland, Ohio. Rebbitzin Rohi has been a Jewish educator since 1998, leading self-development groups for adults and teens and mentoring educators around the world. Rohi is a certified parenting coach, motivational speaker, musician, blogger, author, and the mother of seven children. Wow, <laughs> what truly amazing accomplishments. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. Okay. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for uh, being here. My pleasure. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm a Jewish educator. I have um, had many, many interests over the years. I have worked in publishing. I was very uh, into drama when I was, uh, you know, I don't mean like drama, like with my friends, but, you know, like drama, theater, <laughs> that sort of thing, uh, when I was uh, a teen. And um, I love people. I love learning. And so now, like, sort of all of those things come under this umbrella with my writing and my teaching and, you know, um, just public speaking, I'm able to sort of put all of my just like passions into one, you know, I would say into one box, except that my blog is called out of the orthobox. So I'm also a little out of the box, but I basically all of like the things I love to do get to be under one umbrella, which is, and my husband and I started our own congregation, um, which has developed organically and grown over the years. So the genesis of that was probably in 2005. Um, and now, thank God, we here I am in my office. We just, thank God, we're able to buy this building uh, several months ago. So we have our own place now. And it's really, really super exciting and amazing and wonderful. That is so amazing. I can't believe that you started your own congregation. That is such an undertaking that you were able to do it and not only, not only do it, but do it successfully so that it's not just there that it's growing and thriving successful and making such a difference in people's lives. I think that's like beyond words. It's so amazing. I'm so <laughs> excited for you. Thank you. Well, I mean, the only reason it worked is because we never set out to create our own congregation. I think if we would have, we would have freaked ourselves out a long time ago. <laughs> so it was very much about like, well, let's try this. Well, let's try this. Well, let's try this. And eventually it became this, you know? Right. And that's the best way to do it. Sometimes if you overthink it, that you get too scared and you don't do it. Totally. That's so true. So true. Yes. Um, so, I mean, we really do live in a busy time now these days. It is so, so much going on in our world today. And people are suffering from so many things like sickness, the loss of a job, disagreements with family members and severe anxiety, just to name a few things. And just like people have been done for centuries, we turn to Hashem, we turn to God to pour out our hearts in deep prayer. And we pray and pray and pray. And then we wait patiently or sometimes impatiently for our prayers to be answered. Um, it's true that sometimes our prayers are answered and we are able to see and experience salvation from our sorrows and our troubles. But the truth is that our prayers are not always answered. That, that really is the truth. And no matter how long or hard we pray, we just don't seem to get an answer about what we're praying for. And this can be so frustrating and discouraging. And I want to ask you, what can we do when God doesn't answer our prayers? Okay, so we're basically going to jump into one of the hardest questions in Jewish theology. Not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, so prayer is a topic that's very dear to my heart. My first book is about tefillah. It's called Conversations with God, Prayers for Jewish Women. 
Um, and basically it was in response to many of the people that I learned with in our congregation who, um, who did not grow up with familiarity with Hebrew, with regular, you know, davening and, you know, prayer. And so they, they really felt like even when they were working with an English translation that it just, it just seemed so, um, formalized and overly ritualized and just like having a really hard time grasping. So I, I wrote that book to make prayer real and that it is a conversation with God. So the title was chosen very deliberately because tefillah is prayer is really supposed to be a conversation with God, something, you know, that you engage in organically, like, like the same way that you would have a conversation with a loved one. So if you think about it, right, a conversation with a loved one cannot be colored by an agenda. Like, well, I'm having this conversation with you because I want something out of you. That's more of like a business transaction. That's not a conversation between two loved ones. And really the main reason that we are supposed to talk to Hashem is not to get something out of Hashem, but rather to connect to Hashem, to build our relationship with Hashem, to understand ourselves better, um, to come to a better place of perspective in the world. So if we have engaged in the process correctly, all those things will happen, whether our you know, prayers are answered or not. But it, it's almost like the, the asking Hashem for things is more about building that relationship with Hashem and saying, listen, Hashem, I am affirming and confirming that you are the master of the universe, that you are the only address for everything that I need. And that, you know, when a person steps away from their, from their session in tefillah, that there should be a greater sense of like, ideally, if it's done well, a greater sense of peacefulness a sense of calm, a sense that I, I'm in the right hands and that no matter what ends up happening, ultimately it's all the will of Hashem and it's good for me, even if I can't understand it. So taken from that perspective, in a way you could say that your tefillahs will always be answered because if you're engaging in it with that goal, well, that's going to happen if, if you're really, you know, focused and approaching Hashem, you know, in the right way. Okay. But also there are a lot of things we do want from Hashem. We want, we want health and we want livelihood. And, you know, like you're saying, there's so many scary things in this world. People are plagued by illnesses of all kind and relationship woes. And, you know, the political climate can be extremely frightening. Um, the anti-Semitism is, can, can, you know, absolutely, you know, freak us out. So, what does happen when we ask Hashem for something and, and it is not fulfilled? Um, so really like my first remembered encounter of this was when I was in the seventh grade and my great grandmother who was 88 years old at the time was sick and she had had a stroke and we were all davening for her. We were all praying for her. Um, and I remember as a seventh grader going up to my room and taking out my, you know, Tehillim, uh, I, I'm not sure who the audience here, are people familiar with the Hebrew words or should I be translating? If you don't mind translating some of them, that would be great. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I took out like my book of Psalms and I was just praying and really like with such a, un, such an untainted faith as a young child, like I really, really believe that if I prayed hard enough, my 88 year old great grandmother who just had a stroke would miraculously recover and be, you know, back to herself. That's not what happened. Unfortunately, she passed away a short time later. And that was like my first kind of like, you know, I was like gobsmacked with this awareness that like prayer doesn't always work in the sense of 
well, I gave God a wish list and he did not deliver on my wish list. So what was the point of all of that? Right. Um, so one of the things that I write in my book, I have an appendix about when your prayers are not answered. That's, you know, really, and I'm, I'm not really doing justice because in, you know, in the interest of time, but really like the only reason that God would not do what we want is because it is not good for us to have it, right. which is so hard for us because we think we know what's good for us, but I'm sure anybody could really think of an instance in their lives where they, they got something that they thought was good and it turned out to not be good, or they, they something happened to them that they thought wasn't good and it turned out to be good. So I think there needs to be this like sort of healthy sense of humbleness that we don't actually know what's good for us and what's not good for us because we don't have th this big picture, only God knows this big picture. And another concept that has been extraordinarily helpful to me is that no prayer gets wasted. It's like energy in the universe, right? It's like the, the water conservation cycle. The water doesn't go anywhere. It just gets transformed into different kinds of water. So if I am praying and praying and praying for my great grandmother, and I really, really want her to get well, and she doesn't get well, where do all those prayers go? Well, I don't know, but here's a theory. I have a daughter who is named after that great grandmother. Maybe God was storing up all those prayers for my daughter to have certain things go in her life. And, and I really do feel like this, this daughter has been sort of kissed by God. Maybe, I don't know, but certainly I know this, they didn't just go nowhere. Right. So even though that thing wasn't good for me, but those prayers are being saved for something else that will be good for me. And that's like hugely comforting. And I think you hit it right on the head. I think that's like such the point because I think that people get discouraged when they ask Hashem for something and Hashem doesn't deliver in the way that they want it to, to, to be delivered. But the yeah. comforting the comforting thought, and really I believe also the truth is that those prayers are not wasted and that they will go towards something, towards something good sometime in the future. Maybe not exactly toward exactly what you want it to go to, but towards something else that will be good. Good for you, good for your ancestors, good for your uh, family members, and maybe even a hundred years from now, you know, so there's, right. yes, exactly, exactly. So, so nobody should give up. People should keep praying, continue to pray. Um, it is often said that Hashem, that God sends the cure before he sends the disease. So in other words, God sends us the tools that we need to deal with our problems before he sends us the actual problems themselves. And this is interesting because we don't always realize that we have the tools to solve our own issues with God's help, of course, but we have the tools. We sometimes fall into sadness and despair because we don't know how to help ourselves when it turns out that if we just really, really search within ourselves and we knew where to look within ourselves and our surroundings, we might realize that we actually do have the resources to pull ourselves out of the despair and get through our difficult situations. What can you tell our listeners who are depressed or who feel stuck in their situations so that they can gain some strength and courage to help themselves out? Okay, so I wanna tell you a story. Okay. When I was six years old, uh, I was living in Queens, New York with my mother and father and two brothers. And my father got cancer and he passed away at the age of 30. I was six years old, my brother was eight, my other brother was three. And uh, obviously, huge tragedy and a tremendous loss. I'm sorry. About a year later, thank you. About a year later, my mother remarried uh, a man who uh, is from Cincinnati and was here in Cleveland 
uh, he was in medical school. And so we moved to Cleveland. Now that was like a huge change for us. All of our family lived in New York. It was, it was, we never even heard of Cleveland. Like we were those New Yorkers who thought Cleveland was like cows and cornfields, which, which to be fair, there's plenty of that in Ohio. But um, now when we moved to Cleveland, my parents bought a, my mom and my stepdad bought a house that was back to back. I, I always tell the story. I thought my mother said that we're going to be living right near Carvel. Um, to those of you who are not from New York, that was kosher ice cream store. So that was really good news. When I got to Cleveland, I realized that, okay, first of all, there's no Carvel in Cleveland, but she didn't actually say Carvel. She said Covell. And so we were, we moved back to back to the family that would become my future in-laws. Wow. I know. So when we moved in, I was seven years old. My future husband was 11. Um, and I was like, okay, that's so lame. Not only are they not Carvel, but also they have like six boys also two girls who are younger than me. So I'm like, okay, they're basically useless. Um, <laughs> and of course I had no idea that over a decade later I would marry their oldest son. Wow. And here we are back in Cleveland, you know, we lived in Israel, we lived in the Chicago area, we're back in Cleveland and this is where we've made our life. And thank God we live near family. And so I tell this story to demonstrate that like, there's a concept in Judaism that you know, as you said, God prepares the medicine before the ailment. And like, I believe with such a full heart that we, we were destined to move to this. Nothing else would have brought us to Cleveland. I mean, you know, and can I say, oh, that's why my father had to die. No, if, if God wanted me to marry a guy from Cleveland, he could have worked it out a thousand other ways. Again, God's plan is very complex and, you know, spans generations. So I'm not claiming to know, but what I do know is that he created the medication before the illness, because there I was living right next to my future husband. And, and in our case, and I know this is not the case for many people in our case, like our relationship happened so organically and so easily. And like, as soon as we met each other, we just felt like this is the right person for me. We were very young. Neither of us actually even dated anyone else. So it was so like e almost too easy, you know, so to speak. Um, and this is just one example I'm sharing you from my life where like God prepared this, you know, safety net for me so that I could build my future life. And, you know, in many ways, even though of course I'm, I'm saddened that my father who was a very special person couldn't know my husband, but they have so many similarities. They're both so kind and so caring. Um, and, you know, just, just, I really, really feel like um, Hashem sort of allowed me to be put into this relationship as a, almost like a healing for what happened to me as a child. And that, you know, my kids get to have that kind of dad that I, you know, didn't, wasn't able to grow up with. So that like, I feel like stories like that, even if it didn't happen to you or any of the listeners, but th those kinds of stories, I feel like can give a person hope that sometimes, you know, you have to wait 10 years to see what happened, what, what that was going to lead to, what, you know, what was going to be the result of that. And look, I have situations in my life right now that are very painful that are not resolved. I'm still waiting to find out like, what was the meaning? What is the purpose? Why is this happening to me? But when I look back at, you know, stories like the one I just told, 
it just gives me hope. Like Hashem knows what he's doing. And sometimes it just exercise, it, it just requires like exercising this enormous amount of patience. You know, I don't know why this is happening yet. Right. But there's a reason. And that's, that's you know, that's the balm. Right, exactly. Uh, and it also helps gives a, give us hope, almost like a life preserver. Like this is happening, but it's happening for a reason. It's not just happening just to hurt us. There is a reason for it, you know, and hopefully we right. will get to, to find out the reason, you know, sometimes right. we do, sometimes we don't. And the belief that like, just the belief alone, that it's not meaningless. Yes. Because, you know, look, people experience pain all the time, right? Let's just take physical pain. So, you know, if you, if you, Rabbi, Rabbi Tatz, Rabbi Akiva Tatz always talks about this. If you took like an alien from another planet and put him in a modern day gym, he would think that he was standing in a torture chamber. Yes. <laughs> Which I don't know that I would argue too hard on that. But the point <laughs> is that these people are subjecting themselves to meaningful pain. Yes. It's physically uncomfortable and they may actually feel uncomfortable for days but there's a purpose and there's a reason they will, they are probably paying for the privilege of that experience. Isn't that funny? So, that's true. <laughs> right? Yes. So it's not the pain. That's the problem. It's the meaninglessness. That's the problem. Right. If we can remind ourselves that the pain is not meaningless, that Hashem is keeping track of every ounce of blood, sweat, and tears, and that there is a meaningfulness to it. And there is a purpose to it. And that is that, to, to me, and I, this is just a tool I use for myself, can really be transformational. I totally agree. It is. It's key. You're right. Because it is the, the, uh, the meaning, meaninglessness, the senselessness of like, the pain. If you don't know why it's there, if you think it's there for no reason, it could really make it so much more excruciating than it has to be. But when that pain has meaning and it has purpose and you know it does, you may not know exactly what the meaning is or exactly what the purpose is, but you know that there is meaning and that there is purpose. And I think, yes, I agree. It can be totally transformational and our outlook can be on pain can be totally different from that. Right. Yes. Um, So along the answer, you know, along the lines of prayers getting answered, sometimes in order to get our prayers answered, we have to do more than just pray. Sometimes Hashem wants us to take action. He wants us to do something. Maybe it's taking on a mitzvah like lighting Shabbos candles, or if you're already lighting candles, maybe he wants you to light them earlier. Or it could be that he wants you to reach out to other Jews and maybe have them guests in your home for a Shabbat meal or to take on any other mitzvah that was given to us in the Torah. I mean, it could even be that Hashem wants you to pray for another person who's going through the very same issue that you are going through. And I've heard it said that if a person prays for someone who is going through the exact same issue that they are going through, that the person who prays will be answered before the person that he is praying for. But those prayers for the other person have to be sincere. You can't just like pretend to pray for somebody else you know, in the hopes that your prayer will be answered first, you know, um, and your prayers, your tefillot, they really, really need to be real. Uh, can you please talk to us about some of the things that people can do in addition to praying in order to help get their prayers answered? So, you know, there's the, there's the concept of hishtaglut, which means, you know, effort, right? Normative human effort is the way I like to describe it because of course, you know, it's like the, you know, this uh, story they tell where this guy really wants to win the lottery. So he keeps praying to God. Oh, please, God, I want to win the lottery. Please, God, I want to win the lottery. And every day he's praying for the, to win the lottery. 
and the angels up in heaven, you know, hear all this prayer and they, they say, oh my God, can you please like answer this guy already? He's driving us bonkers, you know? And God says, you didn't buy a ticket. <laughs> so what is normative human effort? And I think that's complicated to answer because you know, there are people who try too hard to like force a certain outcome, you know, and then there are people who try too little and then oh, God will provide, you know, kind of thing. Um, but I definitely, definitely doing things that will be a merit for themselves. Right. And, and again, meaning, you know, like you were saying to light Shabbat candles or, you know, for a person to give tzedakah, but again, you have to be careful you know, because we're not supposed to make deals with God, like God, I'll do this for you. If you'll do this for me, like sort of like the transactional relationship I was talking about earlier. So, you know, for instance, uh, our, our daughter, thank you, Hashem recently got married and our other daughter who is in Israel for the year came home for the wedding. And it was super complicated because of COVID and the tickets and da, 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 da. Anyway, she was here. It was amazing. When she got back to Israel, she, uh, they took her to a Corona hotel, which is what they call that in Israel. The government literally came and picked her up in this bus and they took her to this hotel and she had to stay in this room by herself um, until she got, you know, the results of her PCR. Well, the results of her PCR came back positive. And so she was stuck there as far as she knew for the next 10 days. And we were like working on this, trying to allow the government to get her to quarantine in her dorm. Anyway, one of the things that she was saying to me, she was so distressed. She was in this room by herself and she was like crying to me on the phone. And she's like, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? So I said, well, you know, again, we're going to operate on different fronts here, right? You need to pray and we need to pray. Also, we're in touch with the ministry of health and we're calling, you know, this politician and, you know, doing our normative human effort. Um, but also I said, I think you should do things that are a merit for yourself. So, you know, say that when you get out, you'll give tzedakah or you'll, you know, say these prayers. And she's like, I thought you're not supposed to make deals with God. And I said, you're right. And you have to be very careful about that. I said, what you want to say is, um, I will give tzedakah whether or not this outcome is exactly the way I want. Meaning uh, I'll give it as soon as I can. Right, right then she was basically like a prisoner and the damn panorama, which is like a beachfront hotel in Tel Aviv. People pay a lot of good money to stay in this hotel, but she's like basically in jail. She can't leave her room. Um, that when you're in a position that you can, you will give tzedakah, you know, whether you ended up getting out after three days, five days, 10 days, you know, so your, um, your acts of merit have to be unconditional, right? So um, I'm going to do this mitzvah. I'm going to engage in this project. I'm going to do this act of kindness. I'm going to, um, you know, any like, spiritual merit that, that you could engage in, you should engage in understanding that it's not a bargaining chip. God might not, you know, give you what you want just because, you know, or, or especially not to say, I'll do this only if, you know, I get what I want, because again, we don't really know what's good for us. So, you know, I would say like, that would be the three pronged approach, the prayer, the, the normative human effort and the spiritual effort you know, in doing good things, but, but all of it sort of has to be, you know, kind of over, over shadowed, not in a bad way by the, the knowledge that like, we don't run the world, God runs the world and that things are going to happen exactly the way they are supposed to happen. And, and look, it's possible, you know, sometimes God looks down at the world and says, okay, you know, I need X number of prayers and X numbers of spiritual merit. And then, you know, 
And then I'm going to give you what you want. Like, you know, the Torah says that our matriarchs uh, all struggled with infertility. Why? Because God wanted their prayers. So sometimes God is tapping us on the shoulder because he wants us to connect to him. He wants us to pay attention to him. You know, it's like the, the little story of the the parents and their kid goes off to college and the kid never calls. When does the kid call? When they want money. So the father, this is like, you know, when people actually wrote letters, the father writes the kid a letter and says, hey, I hope you're doing great in school. We really miss you. Here's what's going on at home. I've included 20 bucks for you. Signs the letter, doesn't put in the 20 bucks and mails the letter. Of course, what's the first thing the kid does? Picks up the phone and calls daddy. Thank you so much for your letter. By the way, I think you forgot to put in the $20. So sometimes God, as our divine parent who desires a relationship with us, will leave out the money, so to speak, because maybe that's what's going to get up to pick up the phone, get us to pick up the phone and call. And then once that has happened, and then the doors will open, right? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. But that's one possible scenario is that God is desiring a relationship with us and you know, even though struggles and suffering can often alienate a person from God, but often the opposite will happen where, you know, they'll, they'll turn to God in that struggle and in that pain. That's a choice every person will make, whether their experiences will bring them to, to or away from God. Right, exactly. And, you know, everything that you said makes so much sense to me. And I'm thinking, I'm trying to think what would be the questions in some people's minds. And the, the thing that I think that people might be wondering is, how, how do I know if I put in enough work? Because like you said earlier, some people are just going to keep putting it in the work, putting it in the work, putting in the work. And some people are like, yeah, forget it. You know, God is going to, God is going to provide, but I do, I agree with you. We need to, we need to do our own share of work, but how do you know when enough, enough is enough basically? Yeah. So I I think that, and, and this is not just true of the scenario you just asked me about. I think it's true in general is that we all need people in our lives who are, able to give us objective feedback about how we're doing. I agree. People that we respect and trust, people whom we feel safe with, people who are perhaps, you know, older than us, wiser than us, have a bigger perspective than we do. And, and you know, sometimes we, we do, like, you know, when, when our daughter was dating and, you know, it's hard to know, like, how hard should you try to put yourself out there and meet the right guy? And, right. you know, how much should you, should you just pray or sit back and wait and see what God, you know, sends your way? And she discussed it with a mentor of hers, you know, what is considered enough effort. And they had a really great conversation about that. So I think that that that's going to require a person of objectivity because we end up getting so um, married, if you'll excuse the pun, we, we get so married to our agendas that we sometimes don't realize that we're like pushing too hard, you know, for, for instance, like, um, you know, when my daughter was going into seminary and the whole, you know, kids who are going, whether it's to a gap year in Israel or a college or whatever program, you know, parents might want to get their kids into them. They, they can really push too hard, like harder than they should, harder than the kid than is even good for the kid. You know, sometimes it borders on unethical behavior. Um, And so it's because, you know, we have these agendas that we may not really be super aware of. And so an outside opinion can be extremely helpful in saying, okay, calm down, you know, you're overdoing this or the opposite is true. You know, you need to ramp up your efforts. You know, you're, you're taking it too easy. And so I, I think that's where an objective third view is going to be really valuable. 
that's very, very smart. It's, it's so wise to have somebody else. Yeah, because we get caught up in ourselves and sometimes we can't see the forest because of the trees. You know, we're so deep and bogged in mire in our own situation. Sometimes we can't even see straight. We don't know what's too much. We don't know what's too little. We definitely need that outside objective. Yeah. Yeah. Input. Exactly. And, you know, I love the anecdotes that you've told, like you told some amazing, amazing poignant stories. And uh, since I love anecdotes so much, because I feel like we can learn from them, is there maybe another story or two that you can share with us about either yourself or someone, you know, who had been specifically praying for something for a long time, and maybe their prayer wasn't answered in the same way that they would have liked. Hmm. Think about that one for a second. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. Um, I'm just going to sort of tell a general story to, okay. to protect the, the privacy of the people that it happened to. But, you know, I think sometimes like just going back to getting married and finding one's for shirt, um, you know, and a lot of people pray for that to, yes. to, to meet the right one. And sometimes it takes a lot longer than they would have hoped. But what happens sometimes is that the person that they end up meeting and marrying is often not the same person they would have been into you know when when they first started because you know life happens people change um all kinds of things change and so um i think sometimes in retrospect one can say like if i would have got what i was asking for then it wouldn't have been you know what i need now and so um you know, or the same thing is true of a job. Like when I was younger, I really wanted to go into publishing and I wanted that to be my profession. Um, and then this whole like, you know, congregation thing that happened like almost uh, like totally unexpected. My husband and I were not planning on doing this. It's something that happened over the years. Um, and so, and I'm so grateful. Like I never would have prayed for this, but this is what I got. And this is what I loved. That's not to say that I wouldn't have loved publishing, but like, I'm so passionate about what I do. Uh, and, and actually I resisted doing this for a long time. Like when I was growing up, a lot of people said to me, you should be a teacher. And like, you know, because I was an immature teenager, I was like, oh, teaching is so stereotypical for like a nice Jewish girl. I'm going to do something super interesting instead, like publishing. And here I am, basically I'm a teacher and I love it. I love it so much. So you know, sometimes I feel like God gives us what we need despite ourselves, despite what we thought we needed, despite what we prayed for, you know, um, and, you know, particularly, particularly back to my first example about meeting one's Bashart, like, I feel like, you know, it's really like what we need out of a spouse really does change over the years. And, and, and sometimes a person afterwards can look back and say, oh, it's so good that I waited or it's so good that I had to wait, you know, if it's not a person's choice, because, if I would have married who I thought I needed, you know, 10 years ago, that's not who I am anymore or, you know, whatever. It's just, so I think those are just a couple examples to illustrate what you asked. That's amazing. And yeah, those are very good examples because you're right. There are a lot of people in that, in that, that partial right now who are really, they're praying to find their soulmate. And it's, it's a hard thing when you want to get married and you, you know, you don't have a, a boyfriend, you don't, you fi don't find anybody to date. And it's really, really a hard place to be. But yes, you're right. You know, Hashem has a plan for everything. And with patience, I think they'll get there. And maybe the person that they're going to meet is the, the person that they need to actually meet and not the person who they might have met five years ago, you know, if they had decided to get married then. Right. I mean, you even see sometimes that people, 
date and then it doesn't work out. And then five years later or what have you, they go out again. Yes. Um, and at that point they're, they're ready to, to be together. You know, it wasn't the right relationship for either of them in the past, you know, which is not to underestimate the, you know, the fact that some people really, uh, don't find who, you know, the right one after many, many years. And, and, you know, there isn't this magical happy ending and that's, that's, you know, I just want to validate like that's, that's really hard. And it's really hard to say, oh, this is where Hashem wants me to be right now. I, I, I don't want to make some, you know, pat, you know, assumption that, you know, eventually you'll find the right one. It's not, it's hard. And and some people really do have to wait for a very long time. Sometimes it seems indefinite. And that's, I don't have any, you know, easy answers for that other than uh, empathy and validation. That, that's a hard place to be in our society. Right. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. But I mean, thank you. Thank you so much, Robinson Recky, for joining us on America's Top Robinson's. I really do feel like even me personally, I have a better gri- grip on praying and pr- answered prayers and unanswered prayers and perspective on how you should look at Hashem and uh, and your prayers and, and what they mean. And also about the actual act of praying and how important it is and how much Hashem deeply, deeply wants our prayers. I think it's so important. And we really appreciate having you here. A uh, big happy birthday to my father and may all the wonderful learning we did today be for his happiness and spiritual growth. If anyone has any questions or comments about the podcast, please email us at atrebitsons at gmail.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. Happy birthday to your father. Thank you. And thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you.